0: This is episode number 113 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and in this episode, we have Dr. Greg Rose. Dr. Rose is the co founder of TPI and On Base U, and he talks about um, the philosophy of On Base U in this episode and how each player is different and how they move and how he tests for uh, deficiencies um, when he does screen players. We also get into using a uh, 3D motion capture, um, which is KVEST, and how that's taking over uh, baseball currently and, and how he uses it. And we get pretty uh, pretty technical. There's a couple questions, um, some People uh, asked me to ask Dr. Rose, and um, he responded to those in this episode. Um, This episode is actually brought to you by K-Motion. So K-Motion is a 3D motion capture system. Uh, You may know it as K-Vest, which we will talk a lot about in this episode. And um, it's something that uh, tests for efficiency. It is really taking over the game of baseball right now. And again, really appreciate them um, giving all listeners a discount. So if you type in code PJB5, you will receive $250 off um, if you were to buy a KVEST. So if you were to buy a KVEST, head on over to kmotion.com and type in code PJB5 for $250 off. And now, up to the plate, we have Dr. Greg Rose. All right, and we are now live with Dr. Greg Rose. Uh, Dr. Rose, thanks for coming on today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it. So I know you've been extremely busy uh, with spring training, um, with baseball now, and just, you know, everything else going on. Um, Could you give everyone a background kind of on how you got started in baseball? Um, Because I know you have a a pretty extensive golf background as well, too.
1: Yeah, well... Uh, just to give background, so I, I uh, obviously am one of the co-founders of TPI, the Toss Performance Institute, which is basically everybody knows the Yankees have a training staff or the Lakers have a training staff, but not a lot of people know that the golf company Titleist has a training staff. And myself and a golf pro by the name of Dave Phillips founded this with the CEO of Titleist back in 2003. So I've taken care of all the Titleist players worldwide um, for a long time. And uh, my introduction into baseball really uh, started – uh, in 2004, one of our advisory board members um, by the name of Dr. Tom House, who I'm sure you know really well, yep. uh, was helping us with uh, some of our stuff here in golf, and uh, he had moved to University of Southern California and didn't have a biomechanics lab, so he was sending me a bunch of his pictures um, to start doing some of the 3D biomechanics. So we actually did a lot of that motion capture work here at TPI for Tom, and then uh, Uh, You know, I'm also one of the uh, owners of functional movement systems, and FMS, for you guys that don't know, FMS is a screening that's used in, uh, like, we have a station at the NFL Combine. We have a station at the NHL Combine, and almost every MLB team uses our FMS screen. So we do a lot of, uh, we have a medical screen called SFMA that they use as well. So we do a lot of consulting with a lot of the MLB teams, Of looking at data on their players. So really, I've been in the baseball world for a long, long time. um, But it really wasn't until about three, four years ago. Myself, a uh, a coach, baseball coach by the name of Steve Johnson, who's based out of the um, Washington D.C. area, and uh, former player Don Slot, who is the founder of RightView Pro, does a lot of the video analysis. The three of us decided that you know we should we should kind of do in baseball what we've been doing here at TPI for golf for a long time, and that is educating uh, professionals or coaches, medical professionals and fitness professionals on how to analyze players and make them perform as, as, as good as possible using some of the techniques and some of the, the resources that we've been so lucky to have uh, based on some of the research and development that's done here at TPI and some of the stuff we've done at FMS has allowed us to really get really good uh, insight into how these athletes work. So we kind of created a certification program where you can come and learn, uh, you know, maybe some new new techniques, some new things about how baseball players move and perform and learn some things to make them improve. So we started this on-base university, and now we travel all over the country and soon to be going international, um, and this is something we've been We've, like I said, been doing with a lot of the MLB teams for a few years now, and now it's open to the public. That's kind of how it started.
0: So, um, going into the actual like screen itself, how did you come up with the the actual screen? I guess we'll just start out in the, on yeah. the hitting, hitting side.
1: Get right to get right to the secret sauce. Okay, so basically, <laughs> the way we do all these things is 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 pretty. Well, I won't say it's simple, but. Literally what we do is we try and uh, – when we approach a sport, let's say we go into hitting, right? We go to – we create an advisory board of some of – who we believe are some of the movers and shakers and the best minds in the sport. And we have an incredible advisory board at, at OnBase University, and we, we get all these different perspectives. I don't like people who all agree, too. I like people who have different opinions, which there's a lot of that in baseball. So I like to put a lot of them in the same room. And then basically what we do is we, we start with mechanics – and if you go into a room of baseball coaches and you say, okay, let's all talk about how you should hit, and, and it doesn't even matter what you pick. You can say, let's look at the back leg, or let's look at the, the right elbow, or the left wrist, you're going to get debate bait on what, what's good and what's, you know, how you should hit. So instead of doing that, what we do is we go, can we all agree on what you shouldn't do, right? And it's kind of funny, like if you take, put, put a bunch of people in a room and you say, listen, this is, I believe all hitters should do this, you're going to get debate. But if you say, hey, can we all agree that you shouldn't do, let's say, get your weight outside your back foot, uh, like away from the pitcher, most hitting coaches will say, yeah, of course, we don't want you to do that. So what we do is we create the most common list of, we call them inhibitors, things that every coach literally goes, yeah, you, you definitely shouldn't do that. Once we come up with that list of inhibitors, and that takes a while, by the way. You know, that could take a year or two years really exploring, going through. Then we go through and we say, all right, well, What would cause a player to do one of these things that all coaches agree you shouldn't do? What could could cause them to do this? Now, we look at the list of technical things that could cause this, like it could be a bad grip, it could be a, a concept, something could be wrong, or there could be something wrong with their body that would make it impossible for them not to do this. We look at those inhibitors and we go, okay, what in your body could force you to do this and like, let's, say, let's take, for example, sway, which is a very common characteristic inhibitor in hitting, which is basically in the negative move when you, when you load back into your if you get your weight outside your back foot, right outside the center of your back foot, so your weight kind of rolls outside. And I, I think most people would, would say that you don't want to sway. You can have a little bump onto your back leg, but you don't want to get so far that it's hard for you to stride and step forward. So we look at the sway and we go, okay, what could physically cause a sway? Well, one of the obvious things would be maybe a lack of hip mobility. So if the person can't internally rotate their hip, well, then maybe they'll sway. So then what we do is we come up with, like, what's the fastest, easiest, simplest way for a coach to identify if their back hip can rotate? And literally with that concept, we go through every one of these inhibitors. We list the physical things that could cause this. We show you one of the simplest, easiest ways to screen that based on all of our years of experience with screening athletes. And we kind of give the coach a tool that they can now quickly, like within four minutes, screen their player and go, wow, I didn't realize that maybe one of the reasons you're swaying is because of your spine doesn't rotate properly, or maybe it's your right hip, or maybe it's your right ankle. And we kind of uh, give them this tool where, you know, I don't have to uh, tell you that I think everybody knows that every person is physically different. And for so long, coaches have taken video of players and put a, a pro next to them, like, let's say, let's say I film you hitting, and I, I, I want to review your hitting, they'll take a video, they'll put it on a computer, they'll split the screen, and maybe they'll put, you know, Mike Trout next to you and say, let me show you what Trout does, and let me show you what you're doing. And when you do that, you're saying, well, I assume you can do what Trout does. Well, that's a big assumption, because do you really know what Mike Trout can do physically? And maybe the athlete in front of you doesn't have the same body as Mike Trout, and they can't actually do it, and that's, that's really frustrating for a player, and it's frustrating for a coach if they're trying to tell you to do something you can't physically do. So we're always saying, why don't you first check the athlete, see what they can physically do, right? We'll show you a screen. It's really fast and easy, and it's, it's really not uh, that, that complicated. It's either you can do it, it's black or white, you can do it or you can't. And if you can't, well, then maybe it'll, do, it'll uh, let's see, give you uh, some insight into why maybe they're doing some of these inhibitors
0: that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So after you do the screen, do, you, and, you know, pretty much not everyone's going to pass every test. So do yeah. do most players, do they want, like, corrective exercises, or do they just, or do you think it's best to build around, That's around that?
1: That's basically, here's what we do. I, I, and honestly, it's up to the coach, but literally what we say is, let's say I screen you, Patrick, and I go through and I find out that uh, your right hip's a problem, right? And I say, okay, here's the deal. It was pretty obvious in that screen, you felt it, I saw it, your right hip was tight. I okay, we got two choices now. Number one is I can teach you a different way to hit. Now, I might have to modify maybe your stance or your foot position or maybe how you stand just so that you can actually get around that problem. And by the way, there's lots of players that do this, and I can show you examples of ones that do this. Or... We need to get, you know, maybe in the gym, give you a couple exercises to try and improve that hip. And by the way, I don't care. I'm good at doing both. I can teach around it or I can work on it. What do you want to do? And I give that choice to my player. And honestly, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the most players will just say teach around it. Actually, if you look at the data, over 80% of the players will say, no, I actually would like to do some exercises. Most people don't say, ah, don't worry about my hip. Just let me fall apart. Just show me how to swing around it. They actually want to improve it. All
0: right. Um. So, so that that's the hitting part. The pitching part I know um is a little bit different. So did you guys just come up with the, the same format like you just explained with the hitting for, for the pitching 100%. as well?
1: Hundred percent. We got an incredible advisory board of pitching coaches and trainers and medical professionals. And again, we create the inhibitors and we say, All right, what are the most common things that we all agree you shouldn't do? Like collapse your front knee when you land. And if we if we if that's an example and we say, Okay, if, if uh If we know we don't want that, what could physically cause this? And we go through and we figure out the things that could cause it, and then we come up with the simplest, stupidest, fastest screen to identify that. And and like you said, pitching is just a a very different movement than hitting, and the screens are are different. So we have different screens for pitchers than we do hitters. There are a couple common screens, like all hitters and pitchers should be able to disassociate or create front uh, hip-to-shoulder separation. So there might be a couple common ones, but there's obviously a lot of difference between hitting and pitching.
0: A different screen. Um, kind of going piggybacking off of the pitching a little bit. Tom Verducci wrote an article. I think it was back in maybe October, and he and he talked about how between 2011 and 2017, so very recent, the number of high draft picks who are pitchers who end up, you know, getting Tommy John labrum surgery yeah. and just never end up making it is absurd. And I'm yeah. curious to your thoughts on why are so many pitchers getting hurt.
1: Wow, this is a loaded topic. Yeah, I know it's, it's, yeah, I, it's a,
0: not I, an easy. I
1: talk about well, something I talk about a lot, but I'll I'll, I'll give you maybe my top two reasons. So, okay. number one reason uh, would be early specialization. So, you know, there's been this uh, tidal wave of uh, last twenty years, maybe twenty five years of this mentality that if you want to play major league baseball or any professional sport, you need to specialize in that sport like from age four, right? And we got, we've got kids that literally have done nothing but play baseball from day one. And uh, I'm a big believer in that you should create an athlete first and a baseball player second. And that's really, really important um, in that, you know, I like our kids to play all different types of sports. You know, I want them to play basketball and play baseball and play golf and play track and field and do, do multiple sports to create that well-athletic balance and then create the, uh, the baseball player second. Um, I feel like those multi-sport athletes have a much longer longevity than we see with the the, uh, early specialization ones, and it puts a lot of stress, and these kids have been doing nothing but throwing for, you know, 20 years, and they're only 21 years old, right? So I think early specialization has a lot to do with that, the the lack of diversity and development with these kids. And then number two, which is a huge thing, is, man, there's one thing that I can prove to you that increases your uh, bank account when you get into professional baseball, and that's velocity, right? So this, this, uh, and it's a fact, it's not a belief, the fact that the faster you can throw, the more money you're going to sign. So there's been this, this uh, search for every ounce of velocity. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's great to be able to throw 105 miles an hour if you can, but... Uh, There are some techniques out there that can help increase velocity, but they can be abused and used improperly. And I think a lot of, from social media to, uh, you know, just things that people have heard and said that they take some of these programs and they apply it to people that, the people who know what they're doing would never apply it to those athletes. And, uh, you know, sometimes like, you know, if you take an engine and you put an engine on a, a car that that's got good wheels and it's got a good frame, that's great. If you put a big engine on a car that's got a broken down frame and half inflated tires, the car can explode when it starts to take off. And I think a lot of athletes are trying to put velocity on top of poor foundation. And when you put velocity on top of poor foundation, something's going to break. So I think that's really, really important is that, you know, when kids or parents or coaches see these programs that, professional players are doing to increase velocity, make sure that they see the entire program because I think they see one part of it and they go, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, this, uh, this little program here because it increases velocity. But that program is part of a much bigger program that helps build the entire foundation that that velocity is put on. And if your focus is just on velocity and not building a foundation, kids get hurt.
0: So would an example of that would just be weighted balls?
1: Any any example of uh, of uh, weighted balls is a great example. Weighted balls, 100% of the time, will increase velocity. Literally, if you do it right, it'll increase velocity. But if you ask the you know the people that are the best in the world with weighted ball programs, the guys like Tom House or Cal Bodie at Driveline, I mean, they know that you know they would build a foundation of the player first, put some put some base you know uh, strength and stability and mobility on that player, and then build the speed on top of it, they wouldn't take a kid who has no foundation, no strength training, no history, has some type of functional movement deficiencies, and then just start putting velocity on top of it. I mean, that's just the recipe for disaster, but somehow people just see the, the weighted ball part and they just do that, yeah. right? That's one example. But so I can give you ten examples, not just weighted balls. It's just the people that are the best, the ones I just named, you know, uh, the drive lines and the NPA and Tom House and that you've probably seen over there, that is not what they do. they actually complete the entire training program for the player, and that's one piece that's added for velocity
0: gotcha makes makes sense um you guys were just mentioned in in the athletic um, they had a really great article about about you and, and what on base you does um, and they talked a lot about uh, k vest and I've talked a lot about that um, on the podcast as well and yeah. um, I'm curious as to how you utilize k vest. Um, cause I know you've done more readings on it than probably anybody in the world.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny. It's, uh, K invest is, uh, to me, it, it's like a tool that, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't even want to start an evaluation without looking at it first. It's one of those things that's become so important for how we analyze players. And I think a lot of people don't realize how we use it. Um, it's kind of funny. It's like things like TrackMan that's taken over in baseball, started in golf, and same thing with Kves. started in golf, now it's coming to baseball. I think this, uh, what KVS does that no other um, type of technology does, it, it's, and this is the whole 3D motion capture world, is it tells us if the player is efficient or not. And, now, and I want to explain what that means real quick. Is When you look at a pitcher or you look at a hitter, you know every, every hitter, every pitcher has a unique style there's no way you're going to tell me that every pitcher needs to pitch the same way or every hitter needs to hit the same way because there's too much evidence if you just watch any game, no two hitters look exactly the same. No two pitchers look exactly the same. But for some reason, some of these hitters are just really good at what they do and some of these pitchers are just really good at what they do. I call that efficient. Efficient means you know where the ball's going, you can repeat it, and you can maximize power with the least amount of effort. right? And whether that's pitching or hitting, that that's efficient. Now, If 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 what I'm saying is true, which means there's an infinite number of ways to pitch, and there's different ways to hit, there's tons of styles. um, Then how do you know as a coach what's the best style for the kid that's standing in front of you? I mean that's always been the question. Is if I believe that there was one way to hit, well then it'd be simple. I could use a video camera. I could just say, okay, let's say Mike Trout. Mike Trout's the ideal model of here's how you hit. Let's say I believe that. So I try to take every kid and turn them into Mike Trout. Well then it's just a style coaching. I just try and make sure that your feet look like his, your arms look like his, your trunk looks like him. But we have so much evidence to show that we have people that actually look like Mike Trout when they swing, but they're nowhere even close to Mike Trout from an efficiency standpoint. So, so we're always saying, look, I don't really care what it looks like on a video camera. What I want to know is, is it efficient? It's kind of like, do you crack the whip or do you not crack the whip? Do you create power from the ground, transfer that power through your body to the bat or to the ball and do it in an efficient manner? To measure that, to see if you can do that, is impossible with a video camera. You can't see that with your naked eyes. To be able to measure how you transfer power and energy, that's what we use the KVEST for. That's what we use motion capture for. Motion capture allows us literally to kind of look inside the body to see how this player is creating power from the ground and how that power is transferred in a sequential order from their lower body to their trunk to their arms into the bat, and to see if they do that efficiently. And if they do, it kind of tells us, wow, this, this kid is very efficient. And I always say it's the closest thing to being able to measure athleticism. Like if you say, hey, is that kid athletic? What does that mean? Like how do you measure that? KVS is the closest way to doing that. So literally it's a measure of efficiency or athleticism. Now, if you have a great KVS, and we call it the kinematic sequence. It's one of the main things we look at. If you have this kinematic sequence or this great efficiency, it doesn't mean you're a great great baseball player. It means you're a great athlete. Now, if I put some good coaching with you and I teach you how to to get good vision and good timing and rhythm, you can be a great player. Now, if you don't have a good efficiency and you're not very athletic, I'm still not saying you can't be a good baseball player. I'm just telling you it's going to take more work. We're going to have to teach you how to be a little more athletic or you're going to have to have some great compensations. And it's... uh, it really is eye-opening once you understand how to use that information. So that's that's kind of the easiest way to explain how we use Kvest.
0: So I know that there's four sensors that you put you place on you your pelvis, torso, lead arm, and bat. So when you say yeah. um, efficiency, are you talking about you know the best of the best are in, in sequence?
1: Yeah. So like you know, you hear coaches always say you know hey I was a little out of sequence there, my timing was off. You know, one of the things that we realize is that the best players in the world, what they do is they, they create energy or create force starting from the ground. It's the way they push from the, from the ground or this ground reaction force that helps them rotate. So literally what we can do is we can measure to see when their body starts and which parts of their body start first and what order they fire. And what you'll see with the best players in the world, they start by firing their lower body. Then that energy is transferred to their trunk or their thorax. It starts to rotate. Then it goes to the arms and then it goes to the bat. Whereas in some players, you'll see, like, let's say it starts in the ground, and all of a sudden the bat starts to fire. And then here comes the trunk, and then here comes the arms, and you're like, wait a minute, that was totally out of sequence. And it's literally, it's amazing. Like, the ones that are the most efficient, the best hitters, and we have, you know, motion capture on probably five of the top ten hitters in MLB right now, uh, because we do do tons of capture on tons of teams, tons of players. Uh, The ones that are the best of the best, they do it the same way, even if they look totally different. That's what's so cool about it.
0: Howard, how so I know you just talked about um, being, you know, efficiency, what Mm -hmm. ways would you, like, change, or, like, are there certain drills that you would do if a a player is a, say, for example, he's an MLB player, but he's not efficient showing up on the kinematic sequence?
1: Yeah, so that, I mean, the good news about this is now, you know, professional players don't want you to guess as a coach. They want to know, like, hey, where's my inefficiencies and where do I need to work on it? not only can we identify where your inefficiency is, like, oh, it's, something's wrong with, in your shoulder, or something's wrong in your hip, or something's wrong with your wrist, we can identify the area it is, we can actually experiment with drills, and we can measure the drills to see if they're actually improving it or not, so I don't have to guess if this drill works, right? That, that's so important so that we make sure we're, we're working on the right thing. And we can actually monitor over time to see, make sure it's improving. And another great thing about, the, about this type of technology is when a player is hitting their best, I always tell the players that's when you need to get measured. We'll capture it, we'll call it model, and then let's say you get into a slump, we can actually compare you to you when you were at your best, and we can identify what's different. And literally, uh, this, this type of measurement allows us to, number one, identify the problem, and then, like we said, like you said, we go to our bank of drills that we have, and we, we can actually measure all the drills and go, oh, wow, that drill actually helps get energy from the pelvis or from the lower body to the trunk, or that, that drill is great at getting energy from the arms to the bat and we can kind of categorize our drills and when we see the problem we go okay here's a bank of drills that can help and we experiment with those that's what we do every day
0: um in that article that that you guys were talked about um Tony Clark was was in there as well and he he mentioned and I just want to make sure I quote this right he said um it is something that every year becomes more and more of a hot button issue just because every year we are seeing something new in referring to different technology um, what are your thoughts on people in baseball who aren't really sold on it?
1: Well, I, I think that's I think that's good. I think you, what you want is you want people not to just take everything, you know, uh, you know, like uh, with with I don't want to say not with the honor system, but you should challenge everything you hear and you should experiment with it and look at it. I don't think you should be to the point where you go, I don't want to look at it. I I always challenge new things that come out and make sure that uh, it works for me, but It is totally new. I I totally understand that there are new technologies that come out every year, and some are useful, some are are not. I can tell you that this is not new. This is something that has been used in uh, golf and tennis and some of the other sports for a long time, Um, and it's created an incredible uh, asset to the coaches. So I think think that uh, skepticism is 100% normal. Um, I always say, you know, there's really never bad technology. There's bad interpretation of technology or data. Um, that, that happens a lot. But I, I think you should be cautious. Um, I think there are so many different things coming to the market all the time. Um, I would say we're probably more cautious than he is, because we get, we get technology brought to us all the time. But I do believe that once they start playing with it, and most of the teams now that in MLB that are using it, it's like a tidal wave going through MLB, as soon as they get one or two of these, uh, next thing you know, every affiliate has one just because it's – you can just hear me say this right now. Within two or three years, it's going to be hard for you to find a team that's not using this technology because every other sport that's used this has uh, seen the same thing. But I totally understand the skepticism. That, that, that's important, and I think it actually makes the product better once they buy in, once they use it.
0: Didn't it used to be like that in golf too? In what way? In way, like, I mean, everyone was kind of skeptic, and then...
1: Uh... Oh, it's every sport. But, but you know what? Like I said, I think that's good. I think, I think c- if coaches just believed everything, my God, we'd, have, we'd have a ton of bad stuff out there. I think you should challenge everything. I think you should make sure that uh, uh, you test it thoroughly, and then once you've done that, well then, okay, now you can you can see both sides. But to be cautious with technology coming out there is not a bad thing.
0: Um, I was watching something on um on the internet that you were doing uh, in terms of power testing um, a seated jump with the medicine ball sit up and throw vertical jump as well. and what you were and what you explained on there was how you could predict who was going to win the uh, um, world's longest drive the l- longest driver in golf. And yeah. I'm wondering if is there something like a power testing? Could you do that same thing in baseball or have you done that?
1: We have so. Yeah, what you're referring to is we do a series of tests that literally uh, measure the uh, athlete's ability to generate power. And whether this is in pitching or hitting, doesn't matter. It's kind of looking at the size of the engine on the player. And um, we use, in golf, we use three tests, like you mentioned. We have a seated chest pass, we have a sit-up and throw, and we have a vertical jump. And using those three tests, uh, we've gotten to the point where we can predict your your ball, ball velocity, uh, which is kind of be, let's say equivalent to exit velocity, uh, to within two miles an hour, which is pretty, pretty darn good. Um, so basically just looking at these physical screens, we can kind of give you some insight onto, hey, is your problem more of a technical problem? Because, hey, based on this engine, you should be able to, your ball speed should be able to, let's say in golf, your ball speed should be, you know, uh, Let's say based on these, these tests here, I'm thinking it should be 170 miles an hour. But your ball speed's only 150 miles an hour. Well, that's a technical problem because your engine's big enough. Whereas, if I do a, this this power testing and then we say, hey, I think your ball speed should be 160 miles an hour, and you go, uh, it is 160 miles an hour, but I want it to be 165 miles an hour. Then we would say, well, technique's not really going to help you. You need a bigger engine, right? And we need to work on that in the gym. Now, that same type of testing obviously would be very, very useful in baseball. So we've actually been doing this. Uh, we did a bunch of the minor league players last year and this year collecting this, and I'm telling you, it's scary how similar the hitting is to uh, to this. So I, we're, we're pretty close to where we think we can predict where your exit velocities or bat velocities should be using the same three tests we do for golf. Because um, literally – it. Uh, if they're hitting and golfing are pretty similar. This might be on a little different plane, but they're pretty similar. Maybe the wrist release is a little different. But the, the velocities are pretty pretty similar. The only thing we've noticed is that the baseball players, the their legs tend to be a little more powerful than the golfers, so they have a little bigger vertical jump. Um, so we've noticed a little, little tweak in the numbers there, but we do the same three testing in our power tests. We've added for the pitchers, we've added a broad jump. There's been a lot of uh, research out there showing that uh, you can predict uh, ball velocities or pitch velocities from a broad jump. So we've been adding broad jump to our testing on there. And I don't have a formula to give you yet, Patrick, but I'm telling you we're pretty close. And I, I would definitely, if you're a baseball coach or a trainer, I would be looking at those. And right now I can just tell you for sure, anybody who can jump higher, vertical jump higher or broad jump farther, uh, is probably going to be your biggest engines on your team. Those are pretty
0: good indicators for power. Yep, love it. Very very cool. Know you're extremely busy. We just I, I put something out um, on Instagram. If anyone had any questions for you, and we had uh, several people um, DM me and asked. So I'm just I just picked a few of them. First sure. one, um, Ryan wanted to know how do you use the upper body graphs on K um when working with hitters?
1: Okay, so. Um, great question. So on, on KVEST, you know, uh, we talked about how we measure efficiency with the kinematic sequence, but they also look at what's called orientation of the upper body or the trunk. So imagine if I was looking at your, like, rib cage. I can see if your, if your trunk is, is bent forward, like flexing down, or if it's extending. I can see if it's side bending, like your right shoulder is lower or your left shoulder is lower, and I can see how much it's rotating. So I can see the orientation of your trunk. Now, a couple of things that we always like to look at. is We like to look at posture. That's, I think that's very, very important in in baseball and hitting. Um, we we have something we call an attacking posture, which is basically almost the lead shoulder, the the left shoulder for right-handed hitters is, is should be slightly lower than the trail shoulder. Um, now that we like to see that happening all the way into heel plant, and after heel plant, then we see a reversal. We get the trail shoulder getting a little bit. Uh, lower than the lead shoulder. So I look at the side bend of the, sh- of the trunk just to see, does the player maintain their attacking posture, which we think is very important for getting the bat on plane. Um, and then the forward bend and backward bend, I think it's really, really important to to make sure that the the, the player maintains some space uh, in, in front of their body for their arms. In other words, if I were to look at a pitter from... The catcher view, right? And from standing behind the plate and looking out to the pitcher. If I were to look at a hitter, I always say in front of their belt is like a box. And the thing that only thing allowed in the box is your elbow and your bat. If your lower body, your pelvis, or your trunk, move forward towards the plate and kind of invade that space, it's really hard for the player to deliver their elbow and the bat on the right plane and they have to kind of swing around or outside the ball. So a lot of times we're looking at that forward, tilt, and backward, and ex- flexion and extension of the thorax to see if they're losing that space. And wh- what the biggest sign of losing space is them extending, so they'll actually stand up taller. So if they get too tall standing up, coming into contact, uh, that's also some alarm bells to see if they might be losing space. So I like to look at, from a lateral bend and a flexion extension... Um, it also gives you rotation on there. The rotation, to me, the most important part is what we talked about earlier. I look at that rotational velocity to measure efficiency. Um, but I also like to see, you know, how much, how much rotation that the upper body has in the, in the negative move or in the load. Certain players rotate their shoulders a lot, and certain players don't. And I think that does kind of give me uh, a little insight onto uh, how they deliver the bat. Um, in other words, do the hands come out too early? Sometimes... Players will, uh, if they have front shoulder mobility problems, you'll see more rotation in the upper body to get the hands more behind them. Um, so looking at looking at those those uh, other numbers on Vest are cr- incredibly valuable. And I know he's asking about uh, Ryan asked about the upper body. I actually look at the pelvis numbers even more than the thorax. So they, the Vest gives you the pelvic orientation numbers and the thorax orientation numbers. And I know this sounds complicated, but uh, if, if and it's hard to do on a podcast, but if you were looking at a video, you'll see that it's really important to see the orientation of the lower body and the trunk, and you'll see uh, some very common things that players do that get them in trouble that ultimately affect bat path and bat velocity, and those kind of highlight those a lot. That's how I use those other graphs.
0: Um, one of the other things, one of the other questions um, is looking at uh, deceleration. And how you know how important that is, and so they wanted to know um, what can you what can you kind of understand or what helps you when you're looking at a player in terms of looking at their deceleration on the K vest.
1: Yeah, so another loaded topic. Okay, another hard one to do on a podcast. But right. here's here's the deal. So deceleration. When we were talking about efficiency, you know, we said that hey, all great players start power from the ground and they transfer power from one segment to the next. You know, an analogy would be like a four-stage rocket from NASA. Okay, so let's say you had a four-stage rocket. If you look at a rocket, when it takes off from ground control, when it takes off, the main thrusters on the bottom fire. Let's call that the lower body, right? So the lower body kind of initiates the the positive move or the first move in, in hitting. Now, as the rocket starts to go up, at some certain point, the main thrusters are going to burn out, and the second stage is now going to fire. When the second stage fires, what happens to the first stage? It blows off. It comes firing down. Because when the second stage fires, it actually pushes off of the bottom, of the first stage, and it decelerates the first stage. So what you'll see is the, the first stage of the rocket, you know, when that second thrusters hit, it just explodes and goes down. So the same thing you'll see on a hitter. The lower body is going to start and initiate the, the positive move, And then as the trunk, the second stage, starts to fire, the pelvis will decelerate. It's almost like the second stage firing. And then on this rocket, there's a third stage. That's the arms. When the arms fire, the trunk slows down. And then there's a fourth stage. When the bat fires, then the arms slow down. And there's the sequential order of accelerating and decelerating that we see to look at this efficiency. So just as important as looking at how each of these segments start, we look at how they slow down. And literally, the most efficient players, you'll see the first stage slows down first because the second stage fired. And then the second stage will, will slow down second because the third stage fired. So we we like looking at those decelerations. And the faster they decelerate, the more power they're generating. Because the, think about this, is more thrusters means it slows down faster. But if, if my second stage has five thrusters, my my first stage is going to slow down really fast. If it only has one thruster, it'll slow down slow. So... By looking at how fast you decelerate, it gives me an idea of how fast you're accelerating. So in a weird way, we look at deceleration as a measurement of power. And if we see the, on the KVS the grass decelerating very steeply, uh, you're looking at a very explosive athlete. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yes, it does. Uh, last sure. question from Brian. who uh, has a son who's a pitcher. And uh, he said, how would you find a pitcher's natural arm slot? Are there tips or drills?
1: Um. How would you find their? So, I I think uh, let me think how I would answer that. How would I find their natural arm slot? Well, I you know I, I think this is whether you're talking arm slot or if you're talking what's their normal stride length or what you know these are the questions that come up all the time. Uh, you know when should the hand be up versus when the foot plants. I think it all starts with understanding what your son or your athlete can do, right? So, I think having the physical screen is so important. Like uh to know what would be the perfect arm slot, I kind of need to know well, what kind of shoulder mobility does your son have? What kind of front to uh, upper to lower body disassociation or um you know, hip to shoulder separation do they have? Uh, I I like to see things like uh, what kind of forearm rotation versus shoulder rotation do they have? All of these things will affect where, if I was their brain, where the most effective place would be to put their, their, uh, their arm. Like, for example, a great example would be like, if you're sitting tall, let's say you're at home and you want to try this, just sit tall, take your right shoulder, hold your hand out to your side so your shoulder's 90 degrees, bend your elbow to 90 degrees with your palm facing down. Now, from that position, Go ahead and externally rotate. Take your hand back as far as you can, like a pitcher loading their shoulder or laying back the shoulder. If if your arm can lay back to, let's say, 120 degrees, um, well, then your arm slot's going to maybe be a little different than if a pitcher can only rotate their arm so that their forearm's vertical. You know, that extra 20, 30 degrees can completely change the orientation of the hand and the position of the hand Versus where the position of the throwing elbow is just based on shoulder range of motion So I to me it always comes back to all these questions like what's my ideal path here? Or what's my ideal foot position or where should I ha- land my foot should it be open should it be closed? I'm going to say well, what can you do? Let's look to see what you can physically do once you know I know what you can physically do then we can build a pitch or build a hit that matches your abilities I hope that makes sense. As it well.
0: does uh, perfect sense um, again, Doctor Rose, I know you're extremely busy. Um, I'm, I think you're traveling. At, you told me somewhere else tomorrow. So again, I really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to come on today.
1: Hey, no problem. It's my pleasure. Anytime.